This is uh, from the 12th chapter of Genesis, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by you. So Abram did as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, I don't know about you, but I was getting a little nervous there when Clarence was telling the children that Abram was 75 and Moses was 80. I mean, none of us is safe. Who knows where God may yet call us. Look at Abram, 75 years old. We know absolutely nothing about his past. All we know is that he was married to Sarai and they had no children. That's it. 75 years of silence. I wonder why the Bible doesn't give us any more about Abram. Maybe because the first 75 years weren't as important as the last years. Maybe because your past is not important to God as much as the future. Maybe because God is more interested in what you may yet become than in what you have been to date. Oh, there are some stories about Abram that the rabbis tell. One of my favorites is that Abram's um, father was an idol maker, made, made false gods. And so Abram was put in charge of selling them. But of course, Abram's heart wasn't in selling false gods to people. So they said, for example, a, an, an old man would come and want to buy an idol. And he'd say to him, now, now old man, you, you're, you're too old to believe like this wood is going to come to life. And even if it did, you're so old that it wouldn't make much difference in the years ahead anyway. And the old man would be kind of embarrassed and sheepishly walk off and not buy an idol. Well, it didn't take Abram's father long to figure out that sales was probably not what he was called to. So he put Abram, according to the story, in charge of, of the room where all the idols were kept. And the story goes that a woman brought a, a food offering, a meal offering to the idols. And after she left, Abram took a large stick and just beat the crud out of all the statues that were there. Smashed them to pieces and then put the stick in the, in the hands of the biggest idol that was left. So the next morning, his dad shows up at work and says to Abram, what on earth happened? And Abram said, well, you know, yesterday when I was here, a lady brought a food offering and I guess all the idols fought over it. And the one with the biggest stick, he won. And his dad said, that is ridiculous. Everybody knows these are just pieces of wood. And Abram said to his dad, then why do you make them? I love that story. I don't know that it's true, but it reminds me that Abram was so devoted to God even when his family wasn't and knew there was one God and worshipped one God. And, and then it also fills me in a little bit of, of, of sort of the backstory of his life because we know nothing. All we know is what he did moving forward. And what he did is this. He answered a call to give up everything he knew. To give up his country, his people, the, the people he associated with, his friends, and his own family, his father's household, to go. And 
to go where? He wasn't even told where. Just gave it all up just to go to some unknown place. You know, for years, I thought when God called you to something, it would always be very specific. And so my image was God would always say something to me like, David, I want you to go to Austin. So I'd get on 35 and head that direction. But after reading Abram's story, I think it's more like this. God says, David, I want you to get on 35 and start driving. And I'll tell you when you get there. And that's Abram. Everything he knew, he gave up to go to a place that wasn't known. But that's not the best part of the story, is it? Look what God promised Abram in this sacrifice. He said this. He said that I will make your name great. I'll bless you. Abram was going to come out ahead in the deal. The only thing we know about Abram going into the story is he was childless, and that that was a terrible curse for people uh, because they believed only by children, male children living on, would their name go on, would they be remembered. And God says, you'll be remembered. You're going to have a nation. And then he's told that these friends he left behind, where he goes, anybody that knows him is going to be blessed through him. And then, most amazing to me, he's told, leave your country And in exchange, Abram is saying, and I will bless all the earth through you. He traded up. Everything he knew, he gave up. And in exchange, God tells him, you're going to get stuff so much better than what you knew before. It's interesting the way a lot of the rabbis look at the story is they see seven promises from God to Abram. I I don't count it like that, but they do. They say, uh, be a great nation, bless you, make your name great, you will be a blessing, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and then the whole earth will be blessed by you. They see seven blessings. Well, if you know anything about people in that day, I mean, numbers had great significance. And the number seven meant total perfection from God. So God's saying, you do this for me, and I will bless you so perfectly, so abundantly, in ways that you cannot even imagine. He gave up everything he knew, but what he would come to know would be so much better than what he had known before. And he did it. I thought about that a lot this week, and and I wanted to share with you a few things that the Abram story teaches me. Uh, And the first thing it teaches me is something I think that's probably obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Any person of God who's faithful is going to be on a journey. Any one of us who knows and loves God is going to be called in some way, somehow, out of our comfort zone. How do I know that? Because look at the Bible. Anybody significant not get called out of their comfort zone? Just the first 11 chapters of Genesis to get where we are today. Adam and Eve have to leave the garden. Cain has to wander all over the place. Noah gets set adrift in the middle of the flood. And the people of Babel have to scatter. Then Abram is called to this unknown country. Later, Joseph will be sold into slavery out of his country, travel to a faraway country, and save the world from that country. Moses will be called from Egypt to Midian, from Midian back to Egypt, and from Egypt to lead people across the Red Sea. Joshua will pick up the mantle from Moses and lead people into this promised land. And so it goes. And a nation will come together, but then the nation will have to actually get deported, exiled out of Israel into Assyria and Babylon. And then the New Testament, Jesus. 
called out of heaven to earth. Talk about a journey to be with us. And Paul, called out of Tarsus, Damascus, Jerusalem, Pickett, and sent to what was technically known in that time as the ends of the earth. Today we'd call it Turkey. Far Turkey, near the Aegean. Every person of significance in the Bible gets called out of their comfort zone. Why would I think that we would do any less? I remember talking with Scott Hare one day. We were uh, did like a dialogue sermon. You may remember it. So I, he's standing next to me, well, standing next to me like this. And I, and I said to him, I said, Scott, do you think journey is a good metaphor for the life of faith? And I'll never forget what he said. He said to me, David, I think it is the metaphor for the life of faith. We're always called to go. And where we go often is out of our comfort zone. So I know that we're going to be called. And I know it's not going to be easy. The journey is not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Abram. I mean, he didn't have children. I'll give him that much. But how many times do you think his wife said to him, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Can we unpack the dishes now? I mean, how many times? The journey is never easy. In fact, if you're a Christian, I mean, just say goodbye to the yellow brick road. I mean, it's just not that easy. Test is difficult. Abram's got to go. The Canaanites are already in the land, we're told. It's not going to be easy. Think about Peter. Remember Peter? Uh, a great disciple of Jesus. He's in a boat one day with 11 other disciples, sees Jesus walking on the water. And Peter's kind of comfortable. I mean, as comfortable as a person of Israel can be in a boat, because that's not really their deal. Uh, Now, I know he is a fisherman, but that's not where they're most comfortable. And then he sees Jesus and says, if it's you, call me out of the boat to you. And I think that's the deal in the Bible. Jesus is always outside of our boat. That's always where he's calling us. That's always where he is. If you want to be where Jesus is, you're probably going to have to get out of your boat. You're probably going to have to take some risks and answer the calls that come. And they'll be difficult. But I can promise you, just as difficult as the journey may be, it always is a blessing. Look at all the blessings that come to Abraham. Look at the blessings that come to anybody who knows Abraham. Look at the blessings that come to the world because of Abraham. The pure fact of the matter is those who risk and take the journey that God offers in Christ will be blessed. We will be better, wiser, deeper than we were before we took the journey. I mean, to me, that, this is guaranteed. Every, every journey I've taken, um, whether it's literal, geographical, or, or metaphorical, every time I've gotten outside my box, um, there's been a blessing. Uh, Stop for a moment uh, uh, this week. Um, play, uh, when, uh, when we got married, we went away to a school that was 1,500 miles from where we lived, away from all of our family, away from our friends. We didn't know a single person there. And I couldn't think, I couldn't help but think about that when the school we went to won a basketball game, as God intended. No. no. And, and my middle son and I are jumping up and down, scaring the animals uh, in the last second victory. And I realized it was a long journey to get here. 
it's much more than a game. It's about, we took a trip and met people who were just as wonderful on that end of the trip as the people we left behind. That's just how it goes. But that doesn't stop there. If you hear anything this morning, now hear this. God's purpose in calling you on a journey is to bless the world. God's purpose is not just your blessing. That's a, bi- that's a happy, wonderful byproduct. But when God calls you, it's just as when God called Abram, and God wants all the people of the world blessed because of your faithfulness, because you're answered. So your call may be geographical. Maybe you're called on a trip to go somewhere. Or maybe you're called to pick up the phone and call somebody you haven't spoken with in years. Or maybe you're called to mend a relationship. Or maybe you're called to a new uh, activity. Uh, Whenever you do that, you'll be blessed. But the wider purpose of God is to bless others. Uh, One of the commentators on Genesis said something, and I'm not going to capture his brilliance. I wish I could, but but here, I'm going to try this. He said... One thing we know about Abraham is he was vertically exclusive. By that, it meant that he only worshipped the true God. He was completely sold out and devoted to this God. He would go where this God sent, sent him, do what this God told him to do. He was vertically exclusive. But then, said the commentator, he was horizontally inclusive. Devoted completely and fully to God, he blessed everyone around him. You see, there's a thinking that's out in the world today that says anybody who's, may I use the word, fundamentalist, quote unquote, anyone who's exclusively, passionately devoted to God or their God or or whatever, is by definition going to be a holy terror to everybody else around them. That the more they love God, the more they're going to hate people who don't love their God. Well, I can tell you is biblically that's false. That is not what happens to Abraham. God calls Abraham to that exclusive devotion. Leave everything behind, come with me. And what does Abraham do? Blesses the entire world. The more we're devoted vertically, the more loving we should be horizontally. That's the biblical truth of the manner. The world is blessed because of our journey. And then, as a byproduct, we're blessed as well. I have to tell you that that I believe that journey is metaphorical as much as geographical. But in my case, it it has been geographical. Um, uh, A number of years ago, about six years ago, I felt that God was calling me to go to Africa, which is just kind of weird because I never had any desire to go to Africa. You know, when they'd show those pictures of children starving in Africa, I'd turn the channel. I couldn't look at that. Never saw myself there. Uh, But in 2006, Dinah and I went. And we went to West Africa, and we went with some great people who were doing great work in orphanages. And it was wonderful, but nothing really clicked. And I got home and thought to myself, I'm, I missed that one. I guess I really wasn't supposed to go to Africa. That, well, you know, two weeks and, and a fair amount of money, and I learned a lesson. And then three years later, with Clarence, um, God calling through him, I ended up in Burundi, as you probably know, one of the five poorest countries in the world, uh, 
21 wonderful orphan girls we take care of, a struggling denomination we're trying to get started. And that clicked. And what I finally realized was that the first time, I think God just wanted to know how available I was. It was almost like God was saying to me, would you go if I asked you? And I think it was only by indicating my willingness and my family's willingness and your willingness for me to go that I really got to where the call is now in my life. I tell you this because I think sometimes the first thing we have to settle with God is just, look, if you ask me to do something, I'm going to do it, even if we don't know what that is yet. One of the things you're going to find in your bulletin this morning is a card. And I want to invite you to take a moment and look at this card. This card invites us to think about where God might be calling. And there are two questions. The first one basically is, uh, if you get a sense, and maybe you've had it for some time, that God is calling you in some new direction, asking you to get out of your comfort zone in some way, and you know what it is, I hope you'll fill that out. But maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really understand the sermon, or I understand it, but I don't really think I'm being called to anything specific. Would you be willing if you were called? Can you send that signal that says, you call me, I'll do it. I'll pick up the phone, I'll drive across town, I'll write the check, I'll extend my hand, whatever your call is. And then this is what I'm going to invite you to do. You've you probably heard me say this before. In the country where, where we work, uh, it's very poor. Most of them live on uh, much less than a dollar a day. And so when the offering comes on, on Sunday morning, it's a basket like this. And people come forward, and maybe they were lucky and they transported potatoes to someone else that day and got some money, or maybe they were really fortunate and, and, and their family sold a goat, and, or whatever. They may have something, and so they come and they offer a part of that back to God, and they put their hand in here with what they're offering. But maybe that week, God didn't give you anything. You, you don't have anything this week. They still come forward, and in, they put their hands just in the basket as a way to say, God. When you give me something, I'll give it back. I'll give you part of it back. And when I saw that three years ago, that profoundly affected me. And so about once a year, I try it with you just to remind me, if nothing else. So basically, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward um, as God calls you. And if you can answer the first question, you know, I'm supposed to do this. I think I'm being led this way out of the comfort zone. You put it in there and, and you say, God, this is it. Or maybe you're saying, or you come forward and go, well, I hadn't heard anything, but, but I tell you, if I do, if something comes this week or this year, or I'll do it. And then you can indicate that and you just put it uh, in the basket. And then next to the basket, you'll find some stones. One of the things um, uh, in the passage that I gave to you but didn't give you the whole thing through verse 8 is you'll find a number of times when Abram at Shechem and other places will build an altar of stones. 
Stones have tremendous significance. They, they signal something between us and God. God has moved in some way. We've experienced God. We've heard God or we've asked God for something and God has answered. And, and they build an altar out of stones. It is absolutely no surprise that the Ten Commandments are carved on stone tablets. Absolutely. Because stones indicate that. So whether you've said, you know, God, I hear you calling me to X and you put it in the basket or... Are you are you're saying, God, if that ever comes, I'll answer. Either way, either way, I invite you to take a stone to remember. Remember what God has said and you've heard, or to remember what you said to God and you know that God has heard. So I invite you to take a, phone, a few minutes as we do that together this morning.